Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This has been my best month in terms of listenership. So I uh, really appreciate everybody who's checking out the podcast for, for new listeners and for people who have listened to all the episodes. Thanks, everybody. Uh, it's awesome. I love doing this. I kind of slacked off this month, too, so it's a little bit surprising that I, that I had my best month. But I think I had some pretty cool guests earlier in the month, and so maybe that carried me through to here. Uh, Looking to keep repeating that every month, so share this with a friend, um, and uh, you know, put it out on social media and things like that. I would I would greatly appreciate you sharing this. Today's guest is really awesome. So she, well, her name is Kai Cunilla, and she goes by Cunilla on the internet. She has a blog called the Blue Lady Blog, and she started up when in Phnom Penh, which I think is where I first saw her. I was trying to figure that out before this episode, but I was in Cambodia a couple of years ago. And as always, I, you know, I Google stuff and that's like, I'm sure everybody does to, to try to figure out the things to do. I didn't actually go to Phnom Penh, but I think this is when I first saw some of her work online. Uh, she's traveled all around the world. She's really informed about politics and culture and society in Cambodia. She does public policy. She has media companies. Um, recently spoke at the U.S. Embassy and did a program that took her to the United States and to Bogota, Colombia. Just really interesting and fascinating person. This episode was really informative for me. Uh, I learned a lot about Cambodia, and I think that it'll be, you know, some some good karma for us to put this out into the world and out into the collective conscious. Uh, really, inf- really informative and really entertaining and just really interesting stuff. I've never actually done an episode about my experiences in Cambodia. This is probably going to sound hypocritical, but I, I almost feel like I wasn't there long enough to be able to talk about it. And then I, obviously I have, a, I have an episode about Cairo, Egypt. That's about the 10 to 12 hours that I spent there. I was in Siem Reap for three days and it, it was the tourist thing. Like I went there to see Angkor Wat, which is amazing. Um, and you should do it if you're ever in Cambodia or in Southeast Asia and you have a couple of days. Ancient temples that I believe were originally Hindu temples, um, maybe <laughs> popularized in like the Tomb Raider movies with Angelina Jolie. Um, that was one of the complexes because there are several. But just an amazing, amazing place. It's one of those places that it feels like it holds this old energy. I love to be in a place where I think like, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, this is what was happening in this spot. And now here's me here standing in the very spot where these amazing things were happening. So it's totally beautiful. It can be seen in a couple of days super hot. So what you do is you get a driver for the day. I think most like hostels and hotels and things like that can hook you up. Or if you're out and about in town, I think the place that like a lot of, uh, like backpackers and tourists and expats hang out is, uh, pub street, which is like a, an intersecting. It's like four streets. I think that form a T and there's drivers all over the place. So you can meet somebody, hire them, hire them for the day and they'll take you around to the different complexes. Like many amazing and beautiful temples all over Southeast Asia, uh, some of the coolest times to go um, in terms of like just beautiful sites are the sunrise and the sunset. We didn't do this. 
but if I ever go back, I would like to do it. But yeah, obviously, I, I have just a tiny snapshot of Cambodia. I met, I, I've talked about uh, somebody that I met, Jacob, in Southeast Asia, who I've been keeping touch with a little bit. So I'd love to talk to him when I have him on this podcast about some of the islands because uh, they just seem amazing and beautiful and, and really interesting, and a lot less developed than a lot of other parts of Cambodia. So if your thing is off the beaten path, I think that some of the islands in Cambodia might be for you. Okay, this is me droning on and on. For this episode, we did record through the phone. Uh, it was during two separate recordings, so if you're hearing this and it sounds seamless, then thank you as always to the wizard of sound, Brian, because he helps me out with all this. And at, at a couple of times, I, th- I actually think the quality was quite good, but a couple of times um, I think I kind of cut out on Kunilazen, so... I had to just repeat myself and things like that. So sorry if there's any listening difficulties, but I I don't really think that there will be. And as always, like I said, thank you to Brian. All right, folks, I loved this one. So I hope you enjoy it too. Take care. Today, my guest is Kunilla, Kai Kunilla. You know her as Kunilla Online. You might know her from the Blue Lady blog or when in Phnom Penh. Kunilla, thanks for joining us. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, I was trying to think back to when I first started following you online. I'm assuming it was probably, I spent a, a real short amount of time in Cambodia. So it, it must have been when I was researching a bit to, to see what I would do. Uh, never actually made it to Phnom Penh. So I'm excited to talk to you about you, your work, uh, the city, and also uh, Cambodia in general. So thanks again. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So what I know of you is you are a, a traveler, a media consultant, a blogger, public policy expert. You educate people. Uh, if you were meeting someone for the first time and they're like, hi, I'm so-and-so and this is what I would do, what would you say for you? Hi, I'm Kunilla and I am... I would say, hi, I'm Kunilla and I'm from Phnom Penh. <laughs> that would be like my first line. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm curious about prior to, you know, um, having a media presence uh, you, mm-hmm. you started out writing a lot about travel, and that's uh, first how I how I came to know about you as well. What is the first international travel that you did become a part of? Um, well, you know, um, first let me clarify like why I said my name is Gudela, I'm from Phnom Penh, because I've sure. done so much, and sometimes it's really difficult for me to like introduce myself. Uh, to uh, people I meet for the first time. I don't want to throw so much uh, uh, at them. So I would just say I'm, I'm from Phnom Penh because Phnom Penh is where I'm based out of at the moment. Um, so the first international um, the travel that I, that I was part of was uh, a trip to uh, Germany back in 2009 when I was a student 
uh, doing um, um, uh, studies in, uh, in, in journalism. Um, that was in Phnom Penh um, back in 2009. And how come, how come Germany? Well, um, at the time, uh, my school, uh, a middle school in Phnom Penh that was, uh, that, that was set up in 2002, um, had some programs that were, uh, like assisted by, uh, DW Academy. It's a German, uh, media institution. Hmm. So, uh, they sent, uh, trainers from Germany to come and train, uh, journalism students in my school. And then at the time there was like this program that, um, uh, 40, 50 students among us uh, wanted to to apply for, and everyone, yes, applied for that program, and only three students were selected, and I was one of the three students that were selected for the program. Oh, wow. And we spent about uh, four to five weeks in Bonn, uh, Bonn, the old capital city of uh, Germany, and then um, uh, Berlin and other parts of uh, Germany. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I've spent a considerable amount of time in Vietnam, and this past summer I went to Indonesia for the first time. And there's mm. a there are a lot of programs that are actually set up through Germany, and I've, I've met a lot of people who are learning the German language either in university or started learning it in high school. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So there there are a few main German organizations such as DAAD that sends per- German personnel to institutions, universities, uh, you know, um, to like help um, the institutions conduct their programs, like be it the media school or media program or, you know, a development program. So um, one, uh, DAAD is one of them. And then uh, uh, GIZ, um, which is a dominant uh, German organization uh, that is very visible in Southeast Asia. Like in Indonesia, for example, they have a lot of development programs uh, and their uh, headquarters is in Jakarta. Hmm. Uh, In Vietnam as well, um, uh, KAF, Konrad Adenauer Foundation, Stiftung or Foundation, um, is also very visible. Actually, KAF um, is uh, uh, present uh, all throughout Southeast Asia and headquarters in Singapore. So these are just like three main German organizations that I know very well of. Okay. Um, did you grow up when you, when you were a child? Did you grow up in Phnom Penh? Yes, I was born and raised in Phnom Penh, and uh, I spent about two years um, in Singapore uh, doing my master's degree in public policy, and then I spent a few months in, um, in Germany as a student. Okay. Um, I'm really curious about something. So when... When you're growing up, you're, away. okay. <laughs> so I've I've taught history, and growing up as a, a young person in the United States, your knowledge, I mean, most of your knowledge of Southeast Asia when you're learning about history comes from Vietnam because of, you know, the horrible war with the United States and Vietnam. Mm-hmm, but but mm-hmm. obviously, there's also a strong connection to Cambodia because of that war. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm curious about. You know, the last hundred years of, you know, hundred plus years of Cambodian history is really tough with the the war in Vietnam and the U.S. bombing during that time, uh, the genocide, mm-hmm. uh, the subsequent war then between right. Cambodia and Vietnam. I, I wonder, as somebody who largely grew up after those things, if you still feel the collective memory of those things while you're growing up. 
Yeah, I mean, growing up, it was really hard to understand why all that happened, you know, and uh, why, uh, you know, for example, the U.S. bombed Cambodia, Vietnam, and Laos, you know, and but then, you know, um, after reading and talking to like uh, surviving um, uh, like family members, well, I said surviving because my parents survived uh, the war, the, the civil war that was also started. I mean, partly because of the bomb, the U.S. bombing. Um, right. So we still have those collective memories of what happened to, to uh, you know, uh, relatives, to uh, people we know or we knew at the time. And uh, when I went to, when I traveled to Laos and Vietnam, yes, we talked about all that happened. We shared the same horrible history, you know. And that was, and that was something that is. Um, hard to forget um, so I must say that it took me years to really understand I'm not saying that I fully understand why things happened the way they did uh, the way they did but um, to some extent I um, you know I um, get to I gotta know why you know and also uh, speaking to people from different countries uh, and traveling to those countries uh, it's an amazing, an amazing experience, uh, and then you learn so much from from interacting with people. Um, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam. I mean, Indochina has so many. Uh, Indochina countries have so many historical taboos um, to address, um, and there's there's just so much to do. I recently wrote um, an answer to a question like why. Cambodians hate Vietnamese on Quora.com and it received a lot of upvotes and that was like I mean because a lot of times you won't see that you won't see uh, much information about that on online so um, you know um, uh, there is there's so much to do that's uh, what I can say yeah so there's a few things I want to kind of pull out of that that's one of the things i love about your work and um you're on a bunch of websites and your facebook and everything is that you aren't afraid to either post your own content or repost other people's content about some things that might be a bit taboo to speak about but are really important that we speak about it Mm -hmm. and i also think i I saw a video that you posted and you, you said something to the effect of um you don't quite get the education that you would get if you don't travel, that traveling is really the thing that opens your eyes. And obviously mm-hmm. here in the States, again, when you're learning about some of the horrible atrocities of the past, uh, we often leave out the, you know, the things that the United States is responsible for. And so, mm. you know, when I was in Vietnam, most of the, I forget what it is, it's like 70% of the population or something like that is now, um, are people who were born after the war. And so, mm. you know, it's not so in your face, like not, it's not like on the tip of everyone's tongue, but then mm. I was able to go to the, the war crimes museum and it's like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like this is, this is such a perspective. This is a perspective I, I haven't seen. And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's so important and, and valuable, I think for, for Americans to see something like that. So, um, right. yeah, I, I'm wondering too, while we're on this topic, what is the if obviously there's always differing viewpoints, but is there a general consensus in Cambodia right now 
uh, on America today under the, the Trump administration? Well, um, you know, people, um, people here, when um, President Trump was elected as president of the United States, were pretty shocked. Yeah. Um, I guess it's an understatement. But uh, Cambodians, like um, any other uh, nationalities, are very interested in American politics. Right. They would follow, but um, yeah, um, some were... Um, you know, uh, indifferent, but some were pretty shocked because their work, um, their work, like daily work, uh, uh, could happen because of the funding from from the U.S. Right, and they realized that uh, when uh, Trump uh, uh, or if Trump were president, uh, much of the funding would be reduced and would have negative impact on their work. So that what I observed during that period when uh, the elections in the, in the U.S. took place. I had also read an article, and I don't know if this is from a legitimate news source in Cambodia or if it's something like a tabloid, so maybe you would be able to clarify that, but I had read an article that there were suspicions that the Trump administration and the United States were trying to overthrow the, the prime minister and the government. Is this something that you heard about? <laughs> Well, um, it was last year when a few, um, I think, um, a few um, American-sponsored um, or say funded organizations um, ran into trouble. NDI, National Democratic Institute, was shut down, actually told to like pack up their bag and leave. And um, another newspaper called the Cambodia Daily, which had operated in Cambodia since 1993, uh, was forced to like um, shut down or like stop its operation in September last year. I have to check the dates again, but I think it's September last year. And uh, the Cambodian, uh, sorry, the Cambodian Daily was um, set up uh, by uh, an American publisher. So there was um, an amount of uh, negative sentiment towards towards. Americans toward uh, Westerners uh, during that time. And so there were like some news, you know, some fake, there's some fake news floating <laughs> around. Um, so that, the one that you mentioned was one of, was one of them. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, that, that happened. And I remember reading such uh, articles on, on social media. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that particular case of like the oppositional newspaper being shut down. And I'm going to get into censorship a bit more later, but I didn't realize that there was an American connection there, that the United States had helped to, to prop up that publication. That's really interesting. Um, so, well, yeah. Well, I mean, um, last year was probably... Uh, horrible for um, freedom of speech because of what happened and because um, the government um, was pretty, uh, was taking, um, what should I say, was taking a, a, a very uh, strong uh, measure against um, uh, people who were, people or institutes who were critical of them. Um, and also, people understand that, you know, this year, 
the elect- this year the elections are going to happen. And so we kind of understand why things happened like that. And um, now the opposition party, the main opposition party, has been dissolved. Um, this is going to pave the way for the ruling party to grip its power like it always did in the past. And um, but the, the thing is, people, normal people like me, like ordinary people like me, would just like would be like, mm, okay, um, expected, you know. Um, that's that that's what um, we expect to because um, in the previous elections, um, the ruling party lost some seats to the opposition, and it was and it was not a, a good sign at all. And so they realized that. You know, uh, if, if, you know, uh, these people like the American organizations and uh, the, the newspaper continue to like, you know, speaking critically, then uh, that would be the end of it. Like, they're really, so that's the general, say the general understanding here in, uh, in Cambodia. But in a sense, you aren't quite a normal person. You know, you have a, a public persona and you are in media. So does that scare you at all? Do you ever think like, oh, I really need to be mindful of the things that I say because somebody might hear it? Well, I mean, um, I was a reporter. Um, I'm running a business and um, I'm not political uh, right now. Uh, and I, w- I wasn't political in the past at all because uh, as a journalist, I try to be as neutral as possible. I, if, I quoted, if I quoted people, I had to quote more than two or <laughs> three right. um, based on where they're from uh, and how uh, their opinions fit into the stories. Well, back to this uh, censorship. Um, so journalists understand the unwritten code of conduct I mean, I said unwritten because, you know, that's not, that's, that's, that's what everyone understands. Um, uh, that's what everyone has to follow, even if it's not written somewhere else. Um, so you can call it self-censorship. Yes, journalists in Cambodia have to resort to it because they understand the whole situation. And I think it's not something that is unique to Cambodia a lot of countries in Southeast Asia also do the same. In a way, you know, we're pretty similar. But I must, I, I, I have to put a disclaimer here. I think Cambodia has uh, partly free freedom of expression. I mean, yes, um, certain things can be said, but then you can say a lot of things. And I can still, I can still see that a, a good amount of space to speak, you know, to speak your mind. I mean, if, if, if you know how to do it right, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. that's, that's always, that's always counts by the way. Um, so back to being a normal person and, you know, uh, having to, uh, think about, think twice before you say things. I mean, um, as a Cambodian, um, I must say that, um, I appreciate, um, that space, you know, like the amount of uh, freedom I'm given, but, I realize that uh, certain things um, in society cannot be like mentioned uh, due to fear. We have a lot of fear <laughs> uh, 
fear to like, you know, especially uh, fear to defame or we call it defame uh, other people. We still have uh, this act of disinformation and defamation, which politicians or um, the government can use against um, individuals or like journalists or institutions. So this thing is still um, in use in the court. Um, so yeah, that's why uh, we have to be um, quite careful uh, when we speak. And for me, I mean, because I understand, uh, I mean, it's not like I don't have fear, but I understand um, how to use my voice in uh, certain situations. Um, so that's what I did when I was a journalist and I actually uh, never got into trouble, but I understand like some of my former colleagues um, faced uh, challenges when they worked and they were they, they they had to deal with a court case against themselves and it's not and it's a it's, it, it was a really stressful situation for for journalists to work here in Cambodia yeah I want to I'm really fascinated by this there's a couple things that you just said that I would love to expand upon uh, well the first I guess is a comment so I think maybe you said that this is not you know, so, like an atypical thing that um, there there are plenty of countries that do in some ways censor at least partially like the message that's coming into the country and to the people. And I think maybe people from the U.S. aren't quite aware of this, but even, you know, I was in Indonesia um, or Malaysia and certain movies are censored or content that is considered to be like pornographic, even if it's not actually pornography or um, things that are seen to kind of go against the cultural values um, can be censored. I think even, I might be wrong about this, but I think in China, there's no access to YouTube. Um, mm, oh, or Google product, basically. Oh, really? YouTube, Gmail, yeah. Oh. Uh, certain other products. I mean... China has its own separate, yeah, um, yeah challenge to tackle. Um, That's probably three, a whole nother I would say, let me give you one or two reasons. Like I found out from friends who used to live in China um, that, uh, you know, certain things are censored also because China wanted to invest in its own industry. Right. So if not Gmail, then they have uh, their own version, right? Like Twitter, they don't have they, Twitter. Uh, they use um, they don't have Twitter in uh, China, but they they have like Tencent and all those uh, Chinese style social media. Let me put it that way. So yeah. you know, um, but why? But also because they want to help their own economy uh, in in one way and another way. You know, why Western products while China can produce its own? So that's one that's one way of uh, seeing it. Yeah, and for those who want to access Google products, they might have to pay a lot of money for VPNs, you know, on VPNs to like access Facebook and then right. Gmail and all that money again. <laughs> I guess maybe a point, and I would love if you could talk about this a bit more, but I had read about an article about a, I guess she's an actress and model and, um, you know, a, a famous person in public personality in Cambodia, Denny Kwan, who was censored because, was, yeah. yeah, I mean, why don't, bad, why yeah. don't you tell us? 
Yeah. I remember seeing that on social media and in some uh, print media, uh, the Nikwan, actually, I never heard about her. I had never heard about her until I saw that article. And um, she's not the first person that has been reprimanded by the Ministry of Culture for wearing provocative clothing, uh, posting stuff uh, like sexy photos on uh, her social media channels. There were other female artists that have been scolded. Right. So for me, seeing something like this, um, I just feel like um, something is so wrong. Um, But, you know, um, because Cambodia um, still has like Ministry of Culture, Ministry of Information. Right. And so this uh, ministry's sole functions are just like, you know, uh, keep working, uh, telling people what to do. And I don't think this is great for, um, I mean, for development um, because it affects um, the freedom of expression. I think um, Diddy Kwan um, uses her own channel. I, I, and it is surprising that they compare her photos with like pornography while it is not uh, uh, images are like any other images I saw actresses in Vietnam, in China right. posted on the social media, you know? So uh, what's the big deal about that? And I think the public, I mean, uh, the public here uh, was uh, divided about that. There was the conservative group and there was a uh, like liberal group um, it always happens, I guess, in um, in a society like uh, Cambodia or, or Laos or Thailand, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm also curious, uh, on that point, there's also uh, a, a women's affairs ministry, and you you have a lot of content that helps to educate people and provide information and resources for women. Uh, this is something that, you know, prior to kind of doing some research for our conversation, I hadn't known about. I know that there are a lot of places still with, you know, really strong gender expectations and ideas of how each gender should act and the roles that they should play in society. But I hadn't heard about, and I can't pronounce the name correctly, and I don't want to do it injustice, so maybe you can help me out with that, but... Uh, in in English, it's it's called rules for girls. Can can you ex- explain what this is? Well, um, it's called a female code of conduct. So if you grew up in Cambodia, you would know uh, you would know uh, how to recite uh, the female code of conduct by heart. Uh, that was taught in uh, when I started in the fourth or fifth grade. Uh, Men or boys also have their own code of conduct, but oh. it was much less. And I w- and I would say it was much <laughs> it was much uh, easier easier right. to remember. So um, the female code of conduct, uh, I'll say the female code, um, or another word I would say female admonition. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's pretty, I, I heard from some friends that it's pretty similar in China. Like they wrote something, they wrote scripts. Uh, uh, there were some scripts about how females should behave in certain situations. So um, I met um, the, minister, the Minister of Women Affairs. She's a very liberal woman anyway. She 
gave an interview to an article um, about um, the female code of conduct, and uh, she was, I, I agree with her when she said that, um, you know, what happened here in Cambodian society, especially to women, was pretty much cultural. It's not legal. In fact, a legal system was, like, is, sorry, a legal system is um, uh, pretty fair towards both men and women. Oh, okay. But the female code of conduct was pretty much cultural. Uh, and that's what my mother's uh, generation or my great my grandmother's or my great-grandmother's generation went through. They um, they were not, not my mother, but my grandmother. She was not educated in school. She could not go to school and she could not go to a Buddhist uh, temple to study. At the time, only boys could go to, uh, like, learn how to read from monks. Hmm. Women or, or girls were told to stay at home. And they stay illiterate. Wow. And so that's what happened back then. And then that's why, you know, female code of conduct was written. Um, and I must say it's pretty, it's pretty unfair. And, but thankfully nowadays, nobody cares about female code of conduct anymore. Oh, okay. That's, uh, nobody cares about it, but yes, I mean, um, there's still some influence. Like for example, if you love to, <laughs> you know, if you laugh too loud, if you walk too fast, uh, men or elder people would tell you what to do. When I was younger, I was told that I laughed too loudly, that I walked too fast, that I blah, 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 you know, uh, and it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, something you wanted to hear growing up. Um, but nowadays, like I said, it's, it's different. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, what do you call that? Like, um, uh, um, liberty yeah, yeah. Uh, in doing what you want as a woman. Um, well, there's still challenges. I'm not saying that, uh, all the challenges, uh, were gotten rid of, but, but there, there's still challenges. Um, there's still people who still keep telling you what to do and like how you should look, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure it's still the same in other countries. Um, but yes, that female code of conduct has been forgotten. Um, I am not sure uh, if it's been if it's still in the curriculum at school, um, but I hope it should stay out of school because this is just uh, a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, sure, the, the traditional values that are, are quite outdated and, and quite unfair exist everywhere. We even have, you know, uh, some of the echoes of the past here in the United States as well, and I think. You know, one of the things that's now changing all of that is the free and open access to information. Um, here in the States now, <laughs> like with net neutrality, it, it seems as if perhaps we just mm. gave a whole lot of power to Internet service providers and hopefully our content isn't slowed down or censored or anything like that. But particularly for Cambodia, I know that since like 2013, um, ownership of smartphones is has just gone through the roof and Facebook. That's right. Yeah. And Facebook and, and even WhatsApp and things like that, that connect people are really prevalent. Um, with like the prevalence of social media in Cambodia nowadays, if you've noticed things changing, like we had been talking about censorship and traditional values and things like that, but I'm wondering how you notice culture and society changing with the onset of social media and the connectedness that is caused by the internet? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. That's a very good question, team. Uh, because, yes, this is what everyone has been talking about. It is what a lot of people outside Cambodia want to ask Cambodians about. Um, the explosion of the popularity of the Internet, particularly social media, uh, has taken Cambodia by storm, uh, as in um, never before had, you know, people in traditional media um, uh, predicted, you know, that they they would be challenged by social media. So um, first, let's go to broadcast media in Cambodia, television um, and radio stations. Most of them um, censor themselves and are closely monitored by the government. And so, um, for example, if they wanted to, uh, back in 2009 or 10, if they wanted to, like, watch news about land grabbing, because it was a very... Um, big issue at the time, uh, land grabbing in Cambodia, development, blah, blah, but then pe- a lot of people lost their um, land and, and properties um, due to unfair treatment by companies and all that. So if I wanted to watch news, I'm talking about watching. So if I wanted to like uh, watch news and um, all that blah, blah, on TV, there was none. No television, they're not there to touch this topic, right? So people were pretty desperate because they wanted uh, to go see it, you know, and to share what happened to them. Um, radio was pretty, uh, um, radio uh, journalists were pretty vocal, uh, but not all the radios touch on the topic for fear of, um, you know, being targeted. But then um, it wasn't enough. And so um, 2009 and 2010 was... I, I assume the, the start of uh, the, the, the explosion of the popularity of uh, um, social media channels such as Facebook. Um, a lot of people uh, shared uh, videos, uh, like content, lots of content about what happened to, to the neighbors, to uh, the na- uh, like the neighborhood uh, that they lived in, you know, and all sorts of news. And that was when we realized that television committed suicide in Cambodia. That was a term used by a journalism student, friend of, I mean, a, a friend of mine who uh, went to the uh, same school as me. So we, that's what we thought, you know. Uh, and it's true because nowadays, if you want to watch, like, sensitive news, what would you, where would you go to? Facebook. Mm. Print, print media is doing okay, but still, you know, um, people wanted to see they didn't want to read because, you know, visuals are stronger, always stronger in Cambodia. So that was when everybody started signing up, including the elder, the elder Cambodians who were not uh, technically savvy like they're like the younger ones. So um, I heard uh, my friends who uh, come from another province, far from Phnom Penh, uh, that their uh, neighbors, like in who are in their fifties or sixties, asking their children to help them sign up on Facebook because they wanted to see news. They wanted to watch news, uh, especially news that is not normally covered or uh, broadcast on uh, broadcast media and TV or, or radio. So that's uh, that's amazing. Um, people also think that uh, social media. Um, uh, a broadcast media in Cambodia belong to the government or uh, some private people, but social media belong to people. Right. So it gives them voice. 
Yeah, I mean, um, has the government tried to regulate it at all? Well, the uh, Ministry of Information spoke, uh, uh, has spoken a few times about regulating uh, this platform, such, such as Facebook. Um, I haven't seen uh, much happening, but yes, over the past, say, three or four years, there have been um, a few cases where um, people who made, like, um, uh, the famous comments about uh, certain individuals were um, <clears throat> arrested or were detained and all that. Um, there was this young student or young person who left a mean comment, I guess, or just a comment on a website and cited the word color revolution. And then he was sort of interrogated by uh, by police. But I think he uh, got released much later on. But you see, wow. things like this um, um, raise um, eyebrows among the people because then they... Discuss, they would discuss among themselves what should be said and sh what should not be said on social media. Uh, there's also been discussions among clubs of uh, Cambodian journalists um, and, I, I mean, local, international, and, and foreign journalists in Cambodia about setting up, um, uh, like, an, like an, an unofficial code of conduct of uh, social media users and all that. And I heard that in European countries, uh, the press clubs try to set up something similar. Uh, because in Cambodia we have none, and so everybody um, just does what they what they can do best. Uh, but I've seen a lot of challenges and like opportunities for users here. Um, some of them still don't understand what is privacy and how to protect themselves when they're online. You know, all these things are still like um, uh, lacking among uh, some users. But on the brighter side, um, uh, a lot of people. Uh, become aware, and then um, they they actually they see a lot of fake news going around, and they keep asking friends and people who know better than them to help them. Uh, you know, uh, say point out if uh, it's uh, fake news or it's reliable news. All sorts of things are happening right now. You mentioned something that I think might be important to talk about. Uh, so you talked about land grabbing, and I was actually just reading this recently that if if I'm correct, so Singapore and China are the largest importers of sand, and the sand goes into the making of concrete. And a lot of that sand comes from Cambodia. Is that true? Cambodia. Well, um, according to some articles on the Phnom Penh Post and then um, um, in the... Foreign media, yes, uh, they mentioned um, Vietnam and Singapore as uh, two of those countries that uh, import sand from Cambodia. And uh, I, I actually think that um, actually I read a report about Vietnam being a middle man, mm. you know, bringing sand from Cambodia and then sending it to Singapore. Uh, but I, I see that Cambodia is not the only country that is uh, that this thing is happening to. Indonesia has been one of those countries that, you know, um, this problem has happened in. Like um, a couple of or a few islands were destroyed because um, some countries needed sand for development. Um, so um, sand dredging. 
Um, it's quite a big issue in um, um, another part of Cambodia, uh, not particularly in Phnom Penh. Um, there were reports of people losing homes, especially those who live close to the river. Um, and, you know, um, a lot of um, illegal sand dredging activities have been taking place. Uh, but I, I, I remember a little weekly because... Um, that was, uh, I think, a couple of years ago, two, uh, two years ago, that the government uh, had uh, declared that it's illegal to do that. But still, you know, uh, some private companies have found a way to, um, you know, find a loophole and then um, continue, uh, you know, a dredging fan and then selling it. Um, but, yeah, land grabbing was, uh, because currently I haven't seen, I, I monitor I monitor the media Closely, I mean, I'm running a marketing company, but a marketing and media company. So I monitor the media very closely. Currently, um, there is almost like next to none when it comes to news about land grabbing. But I, um, I saw news about yes and dredging, um, uh, and there is this organization called Mother Nature that has been doing a great job on social media to raise awareness about sand dredging issues. Um, and also like dam construction in this beautiful um, a valley called uh, Arain Valley. And um, a lot of people now have heard about what's going on in that part of Cambodia. Yeah, it's interesting to me for a few reasons. I think that, you know, uh, with the UN and international law and international agreements, uh, officially it's not, it's not legal to colonize anymore right but this it to me seems like a really like neo-colonialism type of a relationship where a you know a country is being negatively negatively impacted at the benefit the economic benefit of you know a, a major world player and the people living in the country that's being affected are you know it's a detrimental situation for them i mean and that i mean that's another reason why i think that uh you know in open media is so important. Are people, do, do you think that, um, like, does that make sense? Do you think that folks are, I hope I'm articulating this correctly. Do you think that folks are aware of situations like that where it feels like, uh, like a key world player, like the United States or Singapore or China is essentially exposed Exploiting the the environment in Cambodia. Well, um, I lived in Singapore for two years. I I would say um, uh, countries like Singapore and uh, and and Vietnam or other countries have their own um, you know um, goals to reach, right? Like for example, in Singapore, they raise the bill to claim. Uh, many parts of the sea, you know, so they need, they would need tons of natural resources like sand, blah, blah, blah. And um, sometimes they uh, don't see the damage uh, that will happen to the people who live in far away, in far away places. That's why you see like grassroots um, initiatives that such as one done by modern nature as an important call for this government to, you know, to say, um, turn their attention to because 
yes, you have your own uh, goals to reach, but at the same time, look at what happened to this, what would happen to this, uh, say, innocent uh, villagers who live around the area where sand dredging is happening. So definitely, uh, for example, uh, in Singapore, um, Urban Development um, Authority um, um, actually is aware. Um, but I I spent two years in Singapore and I happened to like um, go to one of these government buildings and when I asked the question, nobody there could answer because yes, we're all um, we're all um, uh, say sometimes uh, unable to like deal with the. Hmm. Another per, another country's the uh, uh, problem. Um, so there will always be demand for sand, uh, you know. But I think what we should stress is um, say the enforcement of law in the country where sand dredging is happening. Right. If the enforcement is strong, then you know no other countries could come in and, and say uh, you know force. Um, that to happen, right? So uh, at the end of the day, it all comes down to how um, you know um, how well the the regulations or say the, uh, the the laws are enforced in Cambodia. Um, so I would say uh, it's still a long way to go. So then, what is the economic future of Cambodia? Is it is it heading in the direction of a certain industry? Because I know, obviously, we've been talking about natural resources and um, there's quite a big tourism industry. But in, in, mm. in 10, 20 years, where do you see Cambodia um, like on the map in terms of being plugged into the uh, global economy? Well, if you ask different people, they will have different quest, uh, answers to this question because it uh, really depends where you're from um, or what you're doing right now. So um, I can see um, uh, some trickle down, um, like in some remote parts. Um, even in the city now, um, the living standard um, has risen quite a bit. Um, so I, I see positive signs, but I also see a lot of challenges to, to tackle. And the, and, the, and the new government that will be elected after the elections this year will have a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, there has to be check and balance and then somebody, uh, and there has to be somebody to keep reminding the government uh, that it's important, you know, to like keep your promises and, you know, um, solve, uh, if not all the problems, the pressing, uh, the most pressing issues that uh, we're currently mm -hmm. facing as a country. Um, a lot of actually uh, the majority of um, um the majority, I would say the, I wouldn't say the majority because um, I don't want to make a false guess. Uh, but a lot of people I know uh, feel pretty positive about Cambodia. Um, most are like between, um, um, say, 20 and 35. So um, 60, 60 percent of the total population under 30 years old is a very young country. And a lot of these people don't have the same memories about the past like their parents do. Uh, the past I'm talking about, the Civil War, the Khmer Rouge. So these people um, say, um, you know, are really um, uh, different. They demand more. They want more from the from the government. So um, 
so many still are still divided about uh, political views, but uh, what they want for the they want the best for the country for sure. Um, even those who are like against against certain policies still uh, by the government still uh, have this positive outlook about the future of Cambodia. Because we see now Phnom Penh is very different. Mm. Um, if you ask me what Phnom Penh was like in 2010-11, I would say there was nothing here. But now, so much to do. Uh, new businesses come in, even into, into uh, like multimedia, uh, sorry, multi, uh, multinational companies and um, um, new companies come in all the time and look at the consumer markets here, which uh, is expanding, the middle class is expanding, which is a pretty good sign. So, um, yeah, that's, there's a lot of hope. All right, that's a perfect transition into something that I really wanted to ask you. So, uh, clearly, I love traveling. I love to go to places where um, it feels much different from home and I get to experience new food, culture, people. It, it sounds like you are very much the same way. And something that I'm, I try to remain like educated and, and conscious of like my impact as a traveler and something that kind of bums me out when I see it is places changing and I'll explain. So like the old quarter in Hanoi, which has like this amazing culture, amazing food. Now smack dab in the middle of it has a McDonald's. Um, and I'm just like, no. And I know that maybe that's a very selfish way to look at it because maybe in a way that McDonald's for the people there represents progress. I, I wonder how you view that. So I know like uh, Phnom Penh now has like Starbucks um, and you had written about a, a company that is similar to Costco here in the United States. Uh, does these, these multinational corporations and companies moving in, does this represent progress or, or is there any loss of culture from this? Um, excuse me, I couldn't hear pretty well. Could you repeat what you just said? Uh, repeat your question. Yeah, sorry. It was pretty long, but, um, I guess to sum it up, it, p things like Starbucks and you now have a, a company that's very similar to Costco or a McDonald's, do these things represent, um, do they represent progress or, I mean, does this actually benefit Cambodia? Well, I think this, um, 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 I think this is, uh, this is progress because why would you want to do in a, uh, do business in a country that you don't have uh, confidence in investing in? Mm -hmm. Right. So, they see uh, the markets, they see the demand, and they come in as a business person. I am a, also a business person. I, if we want to invest in something, I have to like, have confidence and as much possible, um, as, much, uh, as much information as possible about the certain place that I'm going to invest in. So uh, for us, we think that this represents progress. Um, the middle class is expanding. There's demand. Uh, there are a lot of demand. Uh, to fulfill, and there's um, say com uh, companies like uh, international companies such as Starbucks, and then there is this uh, 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 market um, um, that is pretty, pretty similar to Costco, um, and all these chains, food chains, and all that they come in um, to satisfy the demands of the middle class. Um, a lot of us. Uh, a lot of smaller businesses also, I mean, 
On another side, uh, smaller businesses are pretty, of course, concerned. Uh, but this is, I would say, free market because the free right. market is something that um, uh, the government, also the uh, policymakers, are, are in favor of because it has benefited Cambodia quite a lot, especially when we're part of this uh, Southeast Asian uh, nation association. You know, we. Um, we have agreement on free trade, blah, blah, blah. So, again, um, we see this as um, part of progress, and um, Cambodia is looking forward to more uh, new businesses uh, that are interested to invest in the country. There are challenges. I'm not uh, um, blind to that. To, to those. There are a lot of challenges, uh, but I see that um, – there's been effort on all sides in the government side and um, also the, you know, um, say the um, private sector and also those relevant stakeholders, you know. Uh, there have been a lot of discussions have been held uh, in Phnom Penh, you know, to like discuss how can we do this, how can we do better as a country, as a society, you know, to welcome new businesses, to encourage new businesses, um, uh, um, to be like created in in the country because it creates jobs and uh, young people who need uh, jobs and the middle class uh, is expanding and then there are demands and how are you in, are you going to fulfill the demands if they if their demands are not fulfilled here they will get the demands fulfilled somewhere else and every uh, I mean two, for the past few years we've seen these people flying to different other countries to like have the demands fulfilled you know shopping blah 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 so. Um, I want to keep this answer short, so that's what I think. <laughs> okay, no, that's fair. Um, all right, so I, I wanted to ask a, a few things about you um, specifically. Like you, you've had an amazing couple of years, um, and and I'll link to I'll link to all of your work in the show notes so everybody can get it. But uh, you did a talk for TED which is really awesome. And you were featured and part of the Forbes Asia 30 under 30. Um, so, so I'm really curious about that, like how that came about and, and what that means and, and what sort of benefits that mean that has had for you for your career and your work. Excuse me, could you repeat? Yeah, sure. So I was just saying that um, you've had some really amazing accomplishments in the last couple of years. And, and one of those is you are part of the Forbes Asia 30 under 30. And just what, like, how that came about, what that means for you, and like, how, uh, what's, what that means for for your future and your work and your, um, the things that that you're involved in. That means a lot to me. I mean, for the past two years, um, a lot of people have been kind uh, to me, um, and it actually uh, shows that you know um, efforts pay off. Um, I am currently running a marketing and media company and I see that Cambodia and my, and I myself, you know, uh, have a lot to learn, uh, from, from, from others. And when my achievements, uh, of what I've done has been, um, recognized by, um, you know, like for example, uh, folks 30 and 30 and, and, and others. I just feel like I need to do more and I want to like make more positive impacts within my communities and, and my region, not just in Cambodia, but also in uh, other parts of uh, 
of uh, of the region, you know. And um, I'm I'm looking forward to to doing more and to sharing more with others. And what was the you just were able to do a trip to a bunch of countries, one of them being the United States. What was that program? Um, that was an international visitor program. Um, um, so I think organized by the U.S. State Department. So I was one of the seven Cambodians um, selected to go on a three-week trip um, to the U.S. We went to Washington, D.C., Ohio, uh, um, North Carolina, and uh, the Silicon Valley. So um, most of us are uh, people who run businesses. A couple, uh, actually a few uh, uh, run uh, our startup founders. So uh, the program was to equip us with knowledge about um, how the U.S., um, how the U.S. supports uh, its startup uh, um, uh, community. And where in the United States were you able to go? We went to um, Washington, D.C., um, North Carolina, Durham, Raleigh, uh, and Chapel Hill. And we went uh, to Ohio, Cleveland, uh, Cleveland in Ohio, and... Um, we made the last stop uh, in San Francisco, and we visited uh, some unicorns such as Facebook, Google, <laughs> um, and uh, a few other places in the Silicon Valley. Wow, were you able to make any personal connections that will be like advantageous for your career in the future? Well, uh, it was um, a really uh, it was a really good trip. Uh, I'm not saying because. Um, I was one of uh, those who participated, but uh, it was a, gr- a great trip because of the people we met, um, the startup, the startup communities in different parts of the U.S. You know, um, we face the same challenges here. Uh, in a small city of Cleveland, we met we met uh, we met uh, amazing people who do um, uh, small tech startups, but who could make like huge impact. So we actually keep in touch. And uh, we have been in touch uh, since, and uh, because you know the last trip was like uh, the, the the trip was made in what was that October, and so um, been like two three months now, and we've been uh, figuring out how we can you know support each other. I run um, this regional agency, and we also have like uh, two offices in the U.S. one in San Francisco and one in uh, California. So uh, we actually plan to work with a few startups in uh, North Carolina um, and also in the Silicon Valley, you know, to provide um, um, uh, support uh, within public relations and marketing, you know, uh, sort of, uh, say, um, uh, uh, sphere. So uh, if they need our support, um, when they need support, they can always ring us up. Uh, we're always there in the two cities of uh, of the U.S. So um, that so far, that's pretty much uh, what we've been trying to figure in, uh, to figure out. But here in Cambodia, after the trip, the people who participated um, in the program came back and actually were trying to um, replicate a couple of ideas, like cool ideas. You know, uh, in North Carolina, there's something called Research Triangle. There's nothing here in Cambodia, and um, 
so the the participants um, have been brainstorming, and we're thinking of uh, something similar, but it's definitely not going to be like Research Triangle in North Carolina, but more like an advisory group where different people from different uh, sectors, you know, can come together and become an advisory advisory group to provide support to startups uh, in Cambodia. Wow, that's amazing. So then, if, if, yeah, if, you, if you're looking 10 years into the future or 20 years into the future, what are your long-term goals? Like where, where is Canilla in, in, in 20 years? In 20 years, oh, <laughs> I, I, am, I imagine myself uh, traveling, <laughs> helping, helping communities um, sharing uh, what I know with, with others uh, and also teaching because teaching is, uh, uh, is, um, is actually uh, my dream job. I want to become, uh, I want to be a teacher. Like, really? I, I, still, I, I teach, I still do. I teach in Yangon. Um, I do courses and all that, but I I see myself as a, as a learner. I learn all the time, and I want to share what I know with others. Um, I don't know if teacher is the best way to describe it, but, yeah, uh, I'm a student, and I, uh, I'm a learner, and I want to share it with uh, communities wherever I go to. So in 10, 20 years from now, um, that's what I want to do, to continue working, to continue making impact in the communities and sharing uh, to continue to share, uh, share what I know with, uh, with people who share the same values and ideas with me and who would need my support. Would you ever run for government? Oh, that's <laughs> a pretty good question. <laughs> I was asked uh, the question a couple of days ago. Well, I mean, if uh, the government uh, needs me, why not? Mm. Right? I mean, I, would, I wouldn't mind. Cool. Well, listen, um, your, your blogs are really informative. I'm going to link to all that stuff. Um, this has been really educational for me as well. I think that, I mean, this is all, this is all, all part of open media. You know, this podcast is free for anyone in the world to listen to. And hopefully, in addition to people being entertained by this, they, they learn something today when they're, or whenever it is that they're actually listening to this. So, uh, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on, and I'm wondering, is there anything before we go that you want to plug, any websites that you recommend, or things that people should check out that are associated with you? Um, uh, thank you, Tim, for uh, having me on this program. Um, I'm really, I mean, uh, I'm happy to um, share what I know with with anyone. Um, and if, you know, uh, if uh, anybody has questions, feel free to write to me, you know. Uh, my email address uh, can be found on my blog, blueladyblog.com. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing comments and emails, you know, if people have questions about uh, visiting Cambodia or uh, coming and living in Cambodia, you know. I I meet new people all the time and... Um, I can be a little shy when I meet new people, but don't worry, just, you know, write me an email. I would be very happy to answer any question that, uh, you know, listeners have. Awesome. Um, yeah, so thank you. Just stay on with me. I'm going to close out here, and then I'll chat with you real quick before we go. Sound good? 
Okay. All right, cool. Uh, as always, thank you, everybody, for listening. Greatly appreciate you. Uh, check out all the show notes for all the links to Canilla's information and blogs. Uh, you can always email me as well, thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. Tomorrow, I'll be recording with Mike Green from the Brothers Green. They have a really awesome YouTube channel, and they have a show on MTV. So some cool stuff coming out for you. Thanks, everybody. And as always, take care of each other. Bye-bye. Thank you.